I'm glad to see all of you back. Well, several of you are back. Well, all of you are back, but several of us are uh, still away on uh, Thanksgiving and visiting with family. And we have some several visitors here as well that uh, are here because of the holidays and, and being away. And so we're, we're especially thankful for your presence and uh, glad that you've chosen to be with us. You know, uh, about four years ago when uh, we had decided that we were going to make a move and come to Carnes, I had a, quite a few preacher friends say, do you know what you're doing? And I said, well, I, I think, what do you mean? They said, they would say, well, you're going to be preaching to people that can do it better than you can. <laughs> and I, you know, and I thought about that a lot. But, you know, if we were competitors, that would maybe bother me. But since we're on the same side, that, that's okay. I, I can deal with that. Either that or, you know, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. I don't know. But, but I, I say all that because this last Wednesday, you know, Justin and I were gone and uh, we had a Wednesday night service. Many of us, or a few of us, were, were gone that night. And, uh, you know, it's amazing to be able... What we have here at Carnes, we are so blessed. I know that there are congregations that when there are people that are gone, or a few people that are gone, man, it, it creates trouble, a shutdown almost. But we have so many men that are talented, that can lead us in our worship, in our Bible studies, in our prayers, and and all of these kind of things, um, we are blessed. And I just want to say thank you to uh, everyone that participated this past Wednesday. Cindy sent me uh, the files, uh, the audio files, and I was able to listen. And uh, the lessons were great, a special uh, congratulations or thanks to uh, the guys that uh, did the lessons that night. And uh, I just really appreciate, and it's good to be a part of a church family that has so many willing and capable uh, men to serve in those capacities. Um, the school, uh, we have so much, most of the guys aren't back yet from the holidays for, for the school, but uh, to uh, be able to have them available as well and what they can contribute, it's, it's just really a good thing. By the way, if you see uh, several of the guys that uh, are in the school, I know what they did over their uh, holiday. They they all got engaged. I think three of them got engaged. So when they come back, you be sure and, and talk to them about that. This morning, I want you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 7. Uh, I, I want us to look at an account in the life of Jesus that deals with... Uh, a man that Jesus really highly complimented. And as you're turning there, let me just say this. Let me ask you this. What does it take to amaze you? I mean, what does it take to wow you? What would have to take place to make you do a double take? As you're thinking about that, I think I kind of know the answer to some of those questions because... Um, I don't know that uh, you're probably a lot like me, and there are certain things that, that kind of turn my head. I remember years ago, well, in, in the middle of Ohio, there was a, a place, there's a big lake called Geauga Lake. Those of you who are up from that area, they probably know of it. But uh, Geauga Lake on one side had uh, 
an amusement park. Great. We would go there several times a year. Big park. On the other side of the lake, there was a Sea World in the middle of Ohio. You know, you wouldn't think that it was there, but it was there. And we went to Sea World one summer, and there was this uh, tightrope that was stred, uh, uh, spread, and it probably reached from this side of the auditorium to that side of the auditorium. And it was about twice as high as the highest peak of this building here, maybe a hundred feet, something along that line. And it was the Walinda family. You, you probably have heard of them. The, 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 one of them just crossed across the Niagara Falls. Their grandfather fell to his death a number of years ago. But the two of the Walinda family climbed up on poles on opposite sides, and they started walking toward each other. And as they were walking toward each other, an announcer came over the PA system and said, now this brother and his sister are going to cross each other and cross that and and go the opposite directions. I thought, how in the world can you cross somebody or pass somebody on a tightrope? And I got to worrying. You know, I thought, boy, I've got a child here. She's going to see someone fall to their death. And, you know, it was, I'm going to see someone fall to their death. And I was really nervous for them. But sure enough, I mean, they, they passed each other on a tightrope. That got my attention. That turned my head. And I think of, like, in sports, there are things that turn my head. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever played golf, but if you do play golf, what you see on television, I hear people say, golf is so boring. You know, who can sit and watch this game as these men whisper? You know, you, that, that's hard for people to endure. But if you've played the game, what they do is incredible. In fact, the PGA started a commercial campaign a few years ago that just simply said, these guys are good. And, and they would show these shots. But you have no idea how good they are unless you've really tried it for yourself. But that can turn your head. Or, you know, some basketball player that can take off at close to or right at the foul line and dunk the ball. Go out in your garage or in your driveway and look at that basket and back up about 15 feet and try to imagine yourself dunking, taking off from that spot. Unthinkable. Those kind of things in sports can, can turn your head. Um, in sermons, when I was in college, I got to hear Brother Hugo McCord uh, preach his all or one of his all-Scripture sermons. I don't know if you've ever heard. I know he came here and spoke on the lectureship a number of years ago back in the 80s. But he, from the time he got up in the pulpit, he never said a word that was not Scripture all the way through the sermon until, and even the invitation was scripture. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden. That man preached, quoted, memorized scripture from beginning in Genesis. He told the whole story of the Bible. He went through and told the whole story of the Bible, the redemption that came in Jesus and the invitation at the end. I was spellbound. I had never heard anyone do anything like it. And when he got to the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus sat at the Sermon on the Mount, sat on the mountain and began to preach, he just walked over and took a seat in, in the chair there, and he began to preach 
the Sermon on the Mount. He quoted the entire Sermon on the Mount. I was shocked when I realized he had preached about an hour and 15 minutes when the invitation was gone. I would have never guessed it. It didn't seem that long. That sermon turned my head. Or when I heard Johnny Ramsey preach a number of times. Man, Johnny Ramsey, the amount of Scripture that man knew and had at his recall, incredible. Those are things that turn my head. And, and when you turn on television, what, you, you see um, amazing, the world's craziest or amaz- most amazing car chases or police chases. Uh, back a number of years ago, there was, that's incredible. Uh, and all these amazing things, you know, with, with the advent of cam- cameras and videos, everybody has one. There's all kind of things caught and they go viral, and we're all watching them uh, because they, they capture our attention. So here's my point. I know what captures our attention. I, I, I'm, I, I know how that works. But here's a question I want you to consider. What captures God's attention? What turns his head? What makes him stop in his tracks and go, oh, wow, that was really something special. We have just that in Luke chapter 7, and that's what I want us to talk about. If you have your Bible, open it with me to Luke 7, and let's read uh, the first nine verses. Now, when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him uh, was sick and ready to die. So when he had heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come over and heal a servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that this one for whom he, this is one for whom he should do, uh, excuse me, this is, <laughs> let me get back here. Verse four, and when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man placed under authority. I have soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and another come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, the New King James says he marveled. Other translations say he was amazed. He was amazed at him. And he turned around and said to to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. I like this story. I'm glad it's recorded for us because here's what we have in this story. A man has a servant who is sick. And this man sends some friends to Jesus to say, will you heal my... He doesn't even go himself. He doesn't even expect or want Jesus to come to his house. He understands that Jesus has the power to speak it done. He doesn't have to come to his house. He himself felt unworthy to even approach him, so he sent servants. And... These friends, they're people of faith as well. 
And they come and they tell Jesus about what this man has done. And, and this man explains, you know, I, I understand how authority works. Uh, you know, I speak and it's done. I, I've got people, if I tell them to do it, they'll, they'll do it. I, I understand the whole concept of authority. And that's why I didn't think you needed to come to my house. Because all you had to do is just speak and it, it would be done. And when Jesus heard this, he was walking. And when he heard this, he just stops and turns to these disciples with him and says, Did you hear that? Can you believe that? I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. And by the way, this man is a Roman soldier. And he's talking to the children of God, the children of Abraham, the descendants of Abraham, Israelites. And he said, this outsider has shown me more faith than all of those in Israel. So here's my question. What was it about this man that turned the head of Jesus? What was it about his faith that made this so incredulous to Jesus? That's what I want us to look at this morning. First of all, let me say Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 teaches us that God values faith. There's no question about that. Without faith, Hebrews 11, 6 says, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. You, you can't go to heaven without faith. You have to trust in Jesus and in his finished work on the cross. If you don't have that faith in him, you can't get there by your own merit, by your own works, by your own good deeds. It has to be, I, I just, I'm not worthy, but he is. And I have to trust and really believe that. And if I don't have that kind of faith, I'm not going to make it. But here's the thing. In this story, everybody has faith. Those who came to Jesus for the centurion, they had faith. They knew that Jesus could do something. That's why they came to him. So what is it that separates this centurion's faith from everybody else's faith? Because we're dealing with people that all had faith, but only one turned the head of the Savior. So what is that? What were the qualities of his faith that set him apart? And here's the first point that I see. Number one, his faith crossed barriers. You see, in Luke chapter 7 and verse 2, it says that this centurion had a servant who was dear to him, and he was sick and ready to die. He was a centurion. He was a Roman soldier. I don't know what it would have been like to have been a Roman soldier in the first century working in Palestine or Judea because the people hated you. What would it be like to be the object of contempt? You know, when it's kind of like, well, no, it's not really, but let's see, we won last night. What was that team in red that lost last night? They... Uh, Alabama, can you imagine somebody coming to Knoxville wearing an Alabama Crimson Tide shirt? That's just not done. You know, you don't do that. Uh, but we have, we have contempt sometimes for people that are different. And imagine the contempt that the Israelites must have felt toward the, the Romans. This is our land. Who do these people think they are? 
They, they've come in, they've taken over, they, they compel us to pay taxes to them. They're an imposing force and imposing things against us, against our will. We want to be sovereign, and they've taken our sovereignty away. They didn't like Romans. They didn't like Gentiles. And he was both. Not only was he a Gentile, but he was a Roman. And so he's living among people that don't like him. Now, question. If your next door neighbor just absolutely doesn't like you, how's that ever going to change? You're going to have to take initiative. You're going to have to do something to change their mind. If you don't do anything to change your mind, then it's always going to be the same. They'll still feel that way about you, always. And for people to feel this good about this Roman centurion, a person that they normally would hate, it it indicates to me that he has done something to change their minds about him. His faith was a faith that was able to say, you know what, these people hold me in contempt, but I'm not giving up on them. I'm not going to treat them back the same way they treat me. I'm going to respect them. I'm going to do good to them. I'm going to change their mind about me. That's the kind of faith he had. Do we have that kind of faith? Do we have the kind of faith that will reach out to other people if they're different? Can can black reach out to white people? Can white reach out to black? Can the poor reach out to the rich and the rich reach out to the poor? Can the educated reach out to the uneducated and the uneducated reach out to the educated? Can, Can those with social status reach out to those that don't have that status and, and go down the list. Look at all the things in our society that divide us and, and we, we choose to compartmentalize and put everybody over there. Well, the faith that turned the Savior's head was a faith that said, I don't care about any of that. That's not important. Here's a Roman soldier who reaches out to Jewish men and women when they would not have even cared for him. That's a quality of his faith. James chapter 2 and verse 1 says, Listen, there should be no respecter of persons to those who hold the faith of Jesus Christ. You can't do it. And as he goes down through that chapter, he says, It is sin if you do it. It's a sin. It's not the way you were raised. It's not just your culture It's not just the way, you know, that's the way mom and dad talk. That's the way we were raised. That's the way, well, you need to get over that. James calls it a sin if we show respect of persons. Second thing that I see about his faith is that his faith involved God's work. Look at what he did. He he built, verse 5, he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. He loves our nation. What would make a Jew or a, a, a Roman soldier love the Jews? I, I don't know. Unless it has something to do with him coming to learn to know something about the God of the Jews. Maybe there was some knowledge that he had of the God of heaven and he was informed by some people. Maybe he had, through his acquaintances, learned about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't know, but he loves this nation. And, and he did good for them. He wasn't just 
a bystander, observing. He loves the nation, and he does something for them. He built them a synagogue. Does our faith work? It's easy to say, oh, yeah, I believe in God, and I, I believe in Jesus. Oh, and I love everybody. You know, that's what we're supposed to do. Love the Lord our God with all our hearts, soul, strength, and mind, and love our neighbor as ourself. Two greatest commands. Oh, I do that. I, I love everybody. Well, what have you done for all those people you love? Well, my faith hasn't moved me to do anything for them, but I love them. Here's a man who, he, whose faith has caused him to do something. And then here's a third point. His faith worked for the good of others. Uh, look at, you know, number one, he's working on behalf of his servant who's sick. He's a servant. I mean, get a new one. Why, why worry about that? Servants in Roman or under Roman law, they were property. They were living tools that you could dispense with and get a new one and you wouldn't be charged with any kind of crime. They, they were nothing. So why is this man concerned about a sick servant when he could just go get another one? It's because his faith was interested in the good and the well-being of others. Could it be, we, we don't treat people that way. For the most part, our society doesn't. We, we don't just throw away the lives of others in that same fashion. But could it be that we don't? reach out to other people. We don't show them compassion. We see their plight, but our faith is about us and not about them. Uh, faith, yes, I've got to have that because I, I want to go to heaven someday. And, and so it, faith is all about me, me, me. But can our faith be allowed to be about them? Reaching out, changing, touching lives, ministering, letting Jesus use your hands to minister and, and use your lips to speak and to use your feet to take you where he would go. That's what faith does. It gets involved in the lives of others. It's not just self-serving. It's about serving others. And also, his faith was humble. Look at chapter 7. Look at verse 4. In verse 6 and verse 7, in verse 4, those who are his friends, he had some Jewish friends who came to Jesus, hey, this man is deserving. We've got to help him. And then, but his own estimation of himself in verse 6 and verse 7, I'm unworthy. Isn't that interesting? Everybody who knew him said he's worthy. And he says of himself, I am not worthy. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 20, or ch chapter 27 and verse 2 says, Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Don't you get tired of somebody that's always tooting their own horn? Don't you get tired of somebody that's always bragging on themselves? If somebody wants to say something about you, let them say it. Don't be the one to say it. That just wears people out. His faith was one that was humble. He saw his flaws. And when he looked at his life, he said, I'm not worthy. But to other people, they said, well, he, you are too. You're a good man. And so humility is one of the traits that this man had. And then also his faith trusted in the power of Jesus. 
until our faith reaches a maturity level that we acknowledge, I can't do this, but he can, then we'll never have perfected this kind of faith that turns the head of Jesus. This man could do a lot of things. He was a man of authority. He said, basically, I can bark and people will jump. He had that kind of power. But here, this is out of his hands. He can't fix this. These, this man was sick, and he had no power over that. And so he freely turns to Jesus, who does have the power, to take care of the things that he himself cannot take care of. Do we have that kind of faith? How many of us feel like we have to fix everything? That we can't turn anything over to Jesus. We, we're going to do it. We're self-reliant. We're self-dependent. We, we'll take care of I made the mess. I'll clean it up. We, that, that's kind of how we think. But we can't do that with regard to our sin. It, it won't work. There has to be a point where I say, I can't fix this. I've made a mess. Will you help me? And when we reach that kind of reliance on Jesus, then that's when he can use us. As long as we think we can do it ourselves, well, we'll never get it done, and we'll leave the impression to others that we're arrogant and that we have a proud attitude to think that we can fix this. We, we can't do that. He turned to Jesus for the things that he couldn't do himself. We need to do the same. There's nothing too hard for God, and we need to trust in God to, to do those things that he said he would. So... When I look at this story, Luke 7, I see a man who was an outsider, a Roman soldier. And he had built a synagogue to help the Jews. Unthinkable. Who would have done that? This man of faith. This man who respected the Jews for whatever reasons. His faith led him to action to where he actually built a synagogue. And by the way, you know, that, this is one of the passages that we looked at. When, when I went to Israel a couple years ago, we went to Capernaum, and the ruins of this synagogue is still there in this city. And we stood in this synagogue where Jesus would have stood, where this Roman soldier would have built for these people. And to try to put yourself back to the surrounding and to be there and to hear this and to know that what this man did was something that caught the Savior's eye, that turned his head. He was a man of faith who felt unworthy before God. And he did good for the people of God. And because of that and his respect, Jesus says... I've never seen anything like this, not in all of Israel. But here's what I want to leave you with this morning. This is the good news. I'll never be able to dunk from the foul line. I'll never be able to hit a golf ball like, you know, Kenny Perry or some of these other guys. And hopefully you won't ever see me on one of those amazing police chase shows either. I'm not going to be on any of that either. But I can do this. I may not ever be able to do anything that can turn your head and go, make you go, wow. But I can do this. I can do what causes God to turn his head 
and say, amazing. All it takes is faith that we put into action that reaches out to other people and we stand humbly before God acknowledging, I I need you. Can we not perfect that? Can we not be a people? Can we not be a church that is about those things? Here's what we want to do this week. We want to go out and impact people's lives. We want to make people who would otherwise see us as a different kind of... We're going to cross barriers and reach out to people and, and do good for them. And we're going to do it because we love God. We love Jesus. We're going to understand that when we look at these people and see them and the plights that they have, we're no better than they are. We have nothing of which to brag. We're not the saviors. Jesus is the savior. We're the saved. So there's no room for pride in the kingdom of God because we stand on the same ground as everybody else. Let's be, though, this people that reach out to other people in faith. We do the work of God. We reach out and help other people, acknowledging all along that even though we impact their lives greatly and they see us as so worthy, we see ourselves as unworthy, still in need of a Savior. Far from being done, we are undone. And that will turn the Savior's head. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a child of God, why, why don't you obey the gospel? That's the Be obedient. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that this morning, take that step of obedience. Take that step of faith. It honors God and he'll honor his promises. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you need your life to get right, maybe you haven't been reaching out to people. Maybe your faith has been more about you and just you and not anybody else. Maybe you want to start today and say, you know, this is where I draw the line in the sand. Um, Today's different. I'm going to give my life fully to him. If you need to do that, we'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.